Hello listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm Jordan and this is the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm new to making a podcast, as I've said in some of the earlier episodes, and uh, I'm still working on it. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm trying, so please bear with me. Thank you for your patience. So this is episode four, and this episode's got a few different topics we're going to talk about. So we're going to start with cultural appropriation and protecting culture, and then we're going to move into a little bit about elderhood and lineage, and then we're going to go into, uh, let's see, um, the spiritual garden and basically how the garden uh, relates to uh, spirituality and spiritual path and how we can use the garden as a model for wellness and as a guide for our spiritual path. We'll talk a little bit about um, mental health and uh, depression and some spiritual connections, uh, possible spiritual connections um, or, or meanings of mental health and depression. So, just to get started, um, I would like to just start with protecting culture. So uh, we as people, particularly indigenous people, we need to be aware that the jealous guarding of our cultures puts them at risk of being lost. It is indeed our duty to protect the truth of the teachings of our ancestors and to honor those teachings. As protectors of those teachings, I feel that we have a responsibility to share with all those who genuinely seek to learn, not just with, quote, our own people. We are all of the natural world. Some of us are distanced from it through colonization of our minds, regardless of where we are from or who our ancestors are. We are all of the earth and of the stars, and constantly separating ourselves from others and refusing to share with those who want to learn because they, quote, aren't one of us, is what creates and holds space for the pretenders that pervert and manipulate and abuse our cultures and teachings to suit them, to profit them. Cultural appropriation and cultural commodification are born of separatism and elitism, not of sharing. The measurement of blood quantum, which I've mentioned in earlier episodes, and using it to further separate people is another contributing factor towards the loss of culture. So instead of rejecting those so-called outsiders who seek to learn our ways, I feel that we're responsible for welcoming and guiding people, for allowing them the opportunity to learn things the right way, rather than turning people away so that they end up learning the watered-down and perverted versions and the misinterpretations that are readily available through the internet and through Hollywood and through over-romanticization of different cultures. So one area that's actually a pretty hot topic of debate at the moment with lots of different um, perspectives on it is smudging. So smudging is an ancient universal practice. It's seen all over the planet, though different cultures might have different names for it. Um, the word smudging itself is actually an English description of the Native American practice of burning herbs. Each of the hundreds of tribes, actually more than a thousand tribes, 
in North America have their own name for it in their own language. The word smudging is certainly not one to be reclaimed. It's a generic umbrella term in the English language. Cleansing, aromatherapy, and prayer with smoke are done by people, and cleansing with smoke are done by people from many cultures all over the world. The purpose could be anything from physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, and range from purgative effects of the physical or emotional bodies to a cleansing or clearing of the mental or spiritual bodies or protection of all of the above or more. Many medicines are used ceremonially in smudging. Some are very specific to particular cultures or groups or regions, and some are very commonly used across the world. In the case of white sage, Salvia apiana, it's only endemic to a very small area in the southwestern U.S. and pockets in northern Mexico. Its use is only traditional to the tribes from those areas, though it has been traded across Native America for a very long time. Most other tribal groups traditionally used white sage brushes across North America, which are a large group of plants with a similar look and properties from the genus Artemisia. A few of these are Artemisia ludovichiana variety tridentata, Artemisia arborescens, and even the one that many call black sage mugwort, which is Artemisia vulgaris. Most First Nations people refer to many of these plants as white sage. Salvia apiana, true white sage, is at risk, as is some of the teachings around it with global demand. Big export companies pose a huge risk for the future of the native plant and its traditional range. If they're not growing and responsibly harvesting it, if they're going out and filling garbage bags full of it to go and bundle up and sell to New Agers across the planet, it's causing problems for the native people and the environment that it's actually from. So the good news is it's actually a really easy plant to grow. Um, it thrives on uh, not being watered all the time. It just needs some dry soil, good draining soil. Um, if you prune it properly, one plant will supply you plenty of white sage to use without affecting the wild plants in their native range. It'll also produce plenty of seed for you to grow more. Now, there are a lot of First Nations people who are angry about cultural appropriation in regards to smudging, and they're more worried about, and in my opinion, many are more worried about being militant than they are about actually learning and practicing traditional teachings. At least in Anishinaabe culture, the first teachings that come to us are the Seven Grandfather teachings. These teachings are the foundation of Anishinaabe culture. These teachings are love, truth, honesty, courage, respect, wisdom, and humility. Uh, I think it was episode two was about the Seven Grandfather teachings. So, if that's the foundation of our culture... None of that says to me, don't share our medicines. None of that says to me, do not be open and accepting. None of that says to me, do not forgive. As a matter of fact, it pretty much all points to the opposite. We also have teachings about us all being related. Not just people, but all the medicines. Everything. Everything's related. If we believe that, then how 
can we possibly deny anyone their right to work with and learn from the medicines if they work from a place of respect and appreciation? In my opinion, we just can't. That's not our place. As caretakers of these teachings, as caretakers of these medicines, I feel like we're stewards. It's our place to share in a good way, not to be selfish with. The outcome of selfishly guarding our ways is simply that they will wither away to nothing. We're better than that. Our teachings that were passed down should have taught us to be better than a stingy, spoiled child or a greedy, wealthy person holding their money. We're spiritually wealthy, more so even if we share that wealth. I'd also just like to say that nothing was ever stolen by praying. The medicine wheel has many teachings, and one is the four colors within one circle to show the different people of earth in harmony, each group with different gifts to share and work together to bring about balance. Now, another point I often hear it asked, usually when someone's been made aware that they're offending people through cultural appropriation, unintentionally or intentionally, how can we truly have unity and sharing when culture divides us? To me, the answer is quite simple. Uh, I'm not sure if the way that I explain it will be very simple, but um, I'm going to try. So if we think of the universe as a great sphere made up of infinite smaller spheres, each of these smaller spheres generate the energy required to, quote, fill the larger sphere and hold it together. Every living thing is one of these smaller spheres, an individuated aspect of the greater sphere. The boundary of individuation of each sphere is what gives it identity, what represents each sphere's consciousness and the consciousness of each make up the collective consciousness that is the great sphere, that is this universe. So that division is a part of what creates the many verses of the song that is the universe. Cultural identity strengthens the individual and gives strength to the whole. Individuation and division are not the same thing, at least not the way that I see it. Culture does not divide us, or at least it shouldn't. Um, if we look at the world today and the state that the world's in today, socially and politically, um, culture definitely is a point of division, but it's not supposed to be. It actually should unify us in our individuation to better serve the collective. Each and every culture is an identifier built up over time through interpretation of the collective. This is a beautiful thing, and each hold the very same truths at their core. No matter how far we've come from those core teachings, the, the core truths, those core teachings, those are the same everywhere. The interpretation of the ego, the self-serving, lower aspect of humanity, has lost access to what those core truths are over eons of being drawn apart. But at the same time, the consciousness of the individual has been evolving. Through that evolution and understanding, the individual evolution better serves the collective to evolve. So you see, the individuation is an integral part of the evolution of the collective. Like the ebb and flow of a great universal tide. Such is the evolution of consciousness to me. 
The world is not perfect, but it's okay for it not to be. It's all a part of the tide, the coming and going as we grow and evolve. I'm reminded of, a, of some lyrics in a, in a song, Waiata uh, Māori, called Tai Aroha. And the song, part of the lyrics say, He tai timu, he tai ope, he tai roa, he tai nui. Which is an incoming tide, an outgoing tide, a long tide, a great tide. Anyway, culture is identity. My culture is shared with those of common ancestry that developed the culture over eons. What it really is, is it's our way, our understanding, and our way of preserving the core truths as we needed and still need to look at things. It's been growing and evolving in its own time from generation to generation, just as every other culture has. Now, the reason why culture has become a point of division around the world these days is when one person or one small group take it upon themselves to change a culture, the culture is perverted. It's perverted further from the core truths, from its natural evolution. History has shown us through conquest and forcing cultural change upon others through colonialism. It's shown us what happens in these cases. It's proven to be resoundingly harmful. Unity is what feeds evolution and benefits the collective. Unity does not mean becoming one another. It doesn't mean merging with one another and becoming one thing. It simply is accepting and embracing one another, being to being and culture to culture. You are you, and that is beautiful, and it's a part of what gives me my own beautiful identity. We should be open, we should be giving, we should be sharing with one another while maintaining our individual and collective identities. Not taking the pieces of one identity our ego likes while leaving behind the other aspects of it that define it. Now, this does not mean that we can't learn from one another and share cultural wisdom. We should do this. We need to do this. But it must be done with respect to the identities of others and all those who came before us. So... That is the majority of, of the first part that I wanted to cover. Just want to find this other note here to share with you guys on lineage and elderhood. Now, the importance of lineage and elderhood are seriously overlooked in preserving the integrity of tradition and connection in today's melting pot of cultural appropriation and new age eclecticism. This doesn't mean that one should not learn from everyone and everywhere. However, if you walk a path into the mysteries, into being a keeper of the sacred, of medicine, of lore, bridges into other worlds, a number of facets of the gem that you seek to connect to ancestry, tradition, broken or not, blood memory, personal and ancestral karma, and of course lineage is a map and guidebook for you to walk through areas that otherwise are uncharted to you. An elder is an experienced guide who has been there and walked that path before. Very few who answer the calling to this path can succeed in and maintain personal integrity without lineage and elderhood. 
So without that lineage, without that elderhood, without somebody to guide you and a clear path in front of you, it's very hard to know where you're going, to figure out what you're doing, and to keep on the right side of the line of cultural appropriation or even just basic integrity. If we just make things up as we go, then what's, what's the point, right? So just another point on elders, there's a difference between an elder and someone who's just older than you. At least uh, from my culture, there is a difference. Now, everyone deserves respect. Uh, going back to the seven grandfather teachings, everyone deserves respect. We're, we all have a purpose. We all are a part of the same thing. We're all connected. But an elder is someone who someone who has been down the road ahead of you and has something to share someone who someone who uses their experience to help others uh, time served on the earth certainly does not mean that you've grown in mind now it's the next Next part of this episode, just moving forward, um, I want to talk about the spiritual garden and just talking about plant medicines and how working with plant medicines in your garden um, can be a good model for, for self-care, for health and wellness, and for growth. So I do a little bit of gardening. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't do massive crops or anything, though I, I very much... Uh, would like to be growing enough food to, to share with the community, um, and we're working on that at the moment. I actually should have been should have been tilling up the ground right now, but uh, because we're on level four lockdown, I can't go and hire the the rototiller that I need to uh, to turn up the ground. So um, we'll be doing that as soon as the uh, the hire place opens up. I mostly grow medicinal plants and herbs with cultural significance, a few culinary herbs as well. I would like to grow more food. Uh, anyway, over the years of planting, sowing seeds, watching them grow, weeding and harvesting, the plants and the act of gardening have taught me many things. For instance, we are like seeds on our journey. Unknowingly, we often won't grow without darkness. Many seeds won't grow without a frost. We too need the darkness and cold at times to break us out of our shell, out of our comfort zone, and to encourage growth. Only from darkness can we ascend to reach light and begin the journey to fruitfulness. I feel like a lot can be said there in, about the relationship between light and darkness. If we consider the garden a learning ground and a model of the self, there are many lessons. I remember a time when I, I often didn't notice that the garden needed nurturing or water or something to help it grow until the plants began to look unhappy, drained, struggling to stand up straight. Noticing this, I would often be too busy. Um, I'd just continue to procrastinate and neglect my responsibilities 
even though I had already acknowledged the need for my attention there. Eventually, I'd make the time and feel really good as I connected with and nurtured the plants, feeling a great sense of accomplishment as I see them rejuvenated and beginning to grow again. We often are very similar to those plants in that we need attention from the self. We need to spend time with ourselves to nurture, to recharge, no matter how busy we think we are. We're human beings, not human doings. Again, with weeds and weeding. Sometimes I'd notice a weed pop up and think to myself, well, I'd better weed the garden this week. The week goes by without me making time to get rid of the weeds, but the weeds aren't resting. While I'm busy with other things, the weeds are multiplying, draining nutrients and essence from the beneficial plants I'm trying to grow. They're becoming stronger and stronger, taking more and more from the plants that I'm cultivating. It's a lot like the subliminal programs that we pick up in day-to-day life. They'll grow in our minds and take our focus away from our growth and from the tools that we're cultivating in our healing journeys. Once I get onto it and start pulling the weeds, I immediately notice the smells of the plants and connect with them in the earth, having my hands in the soil, rejuvenating my soul and my connections. Eventually, the weeds are gone. My plants and myself feel more connected and more happy with the result. Though I know the weeds will likely be back for me to pull again another day, I have some peace in my connection. Another lesson comes when I prune my plants. They teach me a lot at that time as well. If I don't cut away the things that aren't necessary to their growth and train them to grow up tall and brown, their growth is stunted, they grow slower, sending energy to heal one area that they never really needed. If I cut that branch or stem away, the plant moves on instantly and feeds the parts that make it strong, growing faster and healthier. I find myself very much like the plants in this way too. Sometimes I need to cut away the things in my life that are holding me back or stunting my growth. Sometimes that's even people. Not out of hatred, but out of necessity, out of what what do I need? What's actually just here holding me back? What's actually just in my way? So I cut away the things in my life that are holding me back or stunting my growth so that one day I too may bear fruit. When I harvest from the plants in my garden, they teach me more still. At this time, I learn patience in waiting for the right time to harvest. If I harvest too early, the plant won't reach its potential. Too late, it'll go to waste. When I harvest my white sage, for example, if I take too much, the plant might die. It needs to be done with care and observation of where the life force is within the plant so that it will still grow. If I don't cut enough away, then the plant will become overloaded with the weight of its own leaves and its growth will slow. But if I carefully select and work with the plant, every branch I cut away will be replaced by two more. The plant will be more fruitful each season. I find lessons for me in this aspect of gardening as well. It reminds me to be critical of myself in constructive ways, not just tearing myself down when I fail. I also feel it applies to giving of the self, sharing your gifts or your knowledge with others. If you share too much of your energy, you won't have anything left. If you don't share enough, you won't have room for the new growth that's waiting to come through. So... Looking again at the seed, 
and the balance between light and darkness. I feel like that also relates very much to mental health, depression, and anxiety. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that. So depression and anxiety are huge issues in today's world. It affects everyone. Um, you know, suicide and depression statistics are, are very high in this day and age in, in the West, and it's, it's really devastating. So just a few different views on depression and anxiety from a spiritual perspective that hopefully will help a few people. So firstly, getting back to that seed, you to visualize a seed. It's dormant in the light. If given light and love and a blanket and nice dry warm conditions, it won't grow. A seed only wakes and begins to grow to reach up to the light and its potential when it's plunged into darkness. Darkness is the beginning for that seed, not the end. The darkness challenges that seed to break out of its shell and reach and climb upwards to ascend beyond its former boundaries. Within its comfort zone, inside its shell, it will not grow, it only exists. In saying that, while it's in the darkness, it does not know that it has the potential to become a great tree or a fruitful plant. It just grows beyond the darkness, even though at times it may need a little help or encouragement or nurturing. Oh, so I've I've suffered in the darkness. I've dealt with depression and anxiety. And while I've learned how to cope with and to recognize it, the knowledge that growth often comes from the way I deal with the darkness has always offered me some peace. Recently, I shared a teaching once given to me by an elder about how depression and anxiety can often, not always, but often, be a sign that the person experiencing them has a purpose in life and gifts from spirit, and that depression is often a symptom of not living in a way that allows these gifts to manifest, or it could even be a blockage somewhere that could be mental, physical, emotional, social, or spiritual in origin. Sometimes that person suffering just needs a little help or a new tool to work through that blockage, and when they do, that seed in the darkness will break down the walls of its shell and sprout new growth, working towards becoming that mighty, mighty tree or that fruitful plant. A lot of the source of depression in people these days, especially in men these days, comes from social conditioning telling us that we don't feel or we're less emotional than women. It's simply not true. Emotion is an equal part of health, regardless of your gender. We as men are often offered less space to feel, less space, less outlets to cope with those feelings. Often we learn to tough it out instead of work it out. Uh, sometimes men have a habit of sedating emotions or to express them through anger instead of allowing the water within us to flow through tears. A lot of men feel like it's a sign of weakness and vulnerability and being vulnerable just isn't the place of men, is it? Really allowing oneself to be vulnerable shows a lot more strength than sedating emotion out of fear of judgment. Akdewin, or bravery, one of the seven grandfather teachings that I've spoken about before, it's often seen as a masculine trait, so why, men, do we not use bravery? Akdewin, why do we not use this 
to overcome the fear of judgment when it's appropriate to be vulnerable. So what happens to water that doesn't move? Think of a swamp. That's what happens to water that doesn't move. It becomes stagnant, full of parasites. Drinking that water will only make you sick. Now, our bodies are predominantly water. When we don't sweat, cry, urinate, and put good clean water into ourselves to keep that water cycling positively, we become just as stagnant as the swamp. Parasites get in, we become sick, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. Illnesses and diseases can manifest in any aspect of our health. Often, people will hold back the tears and they'll use alcohol to sedate pain. Well, what happens when they sedate something? See you at another date. Not only is the emotion not being dealt with, the old water not flowing through tears, but also putting that dirty water, the alcohol, into our system instead of something clean. This, of course, is not going to help, and years of doing this is going to be massively detrimental. We've got to feel it to heal it. We've got to let, her, we've got to let the water flow if it wants to. We've got to work it out, not tough it out. Explore holistic reasons for that emotional or mental reaction. Know that when depression and anxiety are present, it may be a sign that that you're not uh, working with your gifts in a way that uh, is, is keeping you in balance. Maybe you don't even know what your gifts are. Maybe you need to spend some time with yourself. Spend some time in your spiritual garden. So, um, that's, uh, I think that's enough for this episode. We're approaching that half an hour mark that I'm, I've been aiming for. Um, hopefully it made sense to you guys why I put these different topics together. Um, for me it made sense, but uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> anyway, I wish you guys many, many blessings. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate everybody taking time out of their day to listen to uh, to my podcast thanks for listening to episode 4 and um, stay tuned, I'll be recording some more episodes this week and uh, yeah, uh, I think the next episode we might talk about rites of passage so uh, stay tuned for that many blessings Bama Pimi Mwakwabin